today, I normally start a message with you know, maybe a personal story or maybe a little bit of humor or, or something from the news, audience participation, something along those lines. Today, I just don't, I don't have any of that. And I think the reason is, is because the topic. The topic has been very challenging and it's very relevant, uh, but it's, it's not been the most, it's not been the easiest. I'm going to give you the titles, living, Losing Faith, Losing Faith. You know, it is such a, um, well, let me, let me say it this way. I have, in this past week, studied, I've read, I've done so many different things to prepare, and there's only one emotion that I can take away from everything that I've done up until today, and it's, it's the word grief. I'm grieved in so many different ways about those who, might, who we might consider have, that they have lost faith. They have walked away from the things of God. They've walked away from the church. They've, they've deconverted. So as I did a little bit of research, I, I'm, I'm kind of starting out with a heavy heart as I begin, and then I get a little deeper into this. And here are some of the websites that I came across in my research. Graceful Atheist, Deconversion.net, Exchristian.net, Absence of Christ, Common Sense Atheism, Voices of Deconversion, How I Walked Away. And after that, I just I went, I was it just got heavier and heavier. Then I would read quotes and stories from individuals who have walked away from faith. My heart would get heavier. And then these individuals who had walked away from faith, they they, they will take scripture and they'll say, "Here's a scripture that just reinforces my deconversion." And you know, I realize that they're taking these just isolated verses, but and they're, you know, they're ascribing certain meaning and you know to that and again just heavier and, and heavier and heavier on my heart it, it's it grieves me I don't know how else to say it and I I start asking myself questions like the biggest question of all is why God why is this happening and then over the last couple of months and maybe over the last few years some very prominent individuals of faith have walked away. Most recently, a man by the name of Josh Harris. Josh was a pastor of a very large church. In fact, Josh's writings in the 1990s shaped an entire generation of morality for, uh, for parents and students and, and purity amongst high school and junior high students. He's walked away from faith and in such a way that he's saying, he says, I'm, I'm no longer a Christian. Marty Sampson, who songwriter, worship leader at Hillsong, Australia. If I were to talk about some of the songs that Marty has written, you'd go, oh, I know that song, I know that song. He has not necessarily walked away from faith, but he would say, he says, my faith is on shaky ground. He's questioning everything. Another individual by the name of Bart Ehrman. Bart Ehrman was a New Testament scholar. He is a person, a professor, who studies Scripture, textual criticism, and he has, at this point, become an agnostic. Jen Hatmaker, an individual who has written and produced women's Bible studies, is now embracing philosophy that are just contrary to traditional Christian values. I look at this and I say, God, what, what's going on? What's happening? I think some would look at this and say that 
they've walked away, they've deconverted, or their faith is so diluted that people are questioning, were they ever Christians at all? Have they ever made a profession of faith? Truly, or are they just kind of walking through motions or however you might define their life? But let me be clear. It's very important that you hear me today, and I know I have an online audience as well, and I want to be very sensitive to everything I say. I don't know any of these individuals. I don't know them personally at all. I have not had any personal interaction. I know about them. I know about them. That's about as far as I can go. But I don't know their hearts. I don't, I don't know where they stand with God at this point. And so Jesus' words in Matthew 7 are absolutely critical that we understand how we should approach this. Do not judge others, Jesus says, and you'll not be judged. You'll be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you'll be judged. So there's no judgment here. There's no, but I, I'm trying to understand. I'm, I'm trying to assess. And I, I believe as your pastor, it's my responsibility to do all I can to help us navigate, understand, and how we can approach the kinds of, the kinds of experiences, the kinds of times that we're living within. You see, it, it seems as if losing faith is popular. Deconversion is something that is trendy. There's a man by the name of William Lane Craig, and William Lane Craig is a professor, writer, and he's an apologist. Now, what's an apologist? An apologist is not somebody that apologizes for everything. An apologist, a Christian apologist, is someone who defends the faith. He's a defender of the faith. William Lane Craig has debated over the years many individuals who would consider themselves to be atheists. And he walks into those encounters and those debates with this on his mind. He says, I don't go in with the idea of pummeling my opponent. And I love, I love that, pummeling my opponent. But rather, this is how he approaches it. He says, but he is seeking, I hear this carefully, he is seeking to win over people who he believes matter to God. This morning, you might be in a place where you're losing faith. You might be struggling, trying to make sense out of this whole thing. You just can't get it. You, you're just not where maybe you even once were. Well, I want you to know something. There's no judgment here. You matter to God. And I want to do my best to win you over, not to my opinion, but to Christ himself. And maybe you have a friend or a family member who's in this same place. And my hope today that there would be something of substance you'd be able to take and run with and that would help you as we navigate the days in which we live where people are losing faith. So before we go any farther, would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for the opportunity we had to be together and worship you and look at your word together. Spirit of God, Bring your word to light in us. And let the life that we have in you be vibrant, full. Help us today as we, as we, as we look to you to understand the days in which we live in Jesus' name. Pray. Amen. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture from Matthew 13. So if you have your Bibles, turn there with me. 
It'll be on the screens for you, but don't hesitate to bring your Bibles. I know we do things maybe a little differently, but don't hesitate to bring them because when you have it with you, you can write little notes with it. Okay, that's good. I did. Can I just? I got. I don't know why I'm going to share this. But I'm going to share it. Is that all right? Well, that, I don't know. Is it? I'm not sure. Okay, good. I was going to do it anyway, so it didn't matter. I was kidding. I did an entire memorial service of a wonderful grandmother, and all I used was the notes in her Bible that she had written over years. It was the most powerful thing I had ever done. So use your Bible. Write little notes. Let it, let it be done. Maybe you got a tablet. You can do the same thing. You can put a note on the side of a scripture. Matthew 13 is a parable. Jesus taught in parables. Now, what's a parable? A parable is a story with meaning. That's all it is. But Jesus would use it in a way that would make a point. And so he would capture his audience. He would, he would, just, he would just draw his audience in by this story. And then he just, and there's the truth. And they would go, oh, brilliant. That's what he does with this story. And it's a familiar one. It's the, it's the, it's the parable or the story of the sower and the seed. Take a look at it with me. Matthew 13, verses 3 to 9, and then verses 18 to, 13, 18 to 23. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the, the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they were withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew at, choked the plants. Still, other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. Seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word at once, receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Now, the parable is pretty straightforward. It's pretty easy to understand. It's not, it's not deeply mysterious. Now, what you have is very simply, you've got the sower, which is Christ who sows the seed. It's the message of the kingdom. Now, you and I, as followers of Christ, if we share the good news of Jesus, we then become the sower. We're sowing the seed of the message of the kingdom. Well, the seed is just that. It's the message itself. And then the soil then represents the type of person that the message is given to. And Jesus outlines four different types of soil. And that's really, some have said that this should be called, rather than the sower and the seed, it should be the parable of the soils. Because it really speaks to the heart or the, the persons themselves. So, let's talk about these four for just a moment. The first is the hardened path. Or those that would be indifferent. Indifferent. So when you look at this, you notice that these are in, they could be indifferent. They could be closed-minded to the message of the kingdom. But when the seed is sown, something happens. You notice the birds come and snatch the seed away before it can even take root. Well, you can naturally just 
work your way down a little bit, and you find out the enemy comes and steals what is sown. And the harder our lives are, the more readily and easy it is for the enemy to steal that which has been sown. And understand something. The adversary of our souls, the enemy of your soul and mine, will do absolutely anything and everything to keep us from hearing and embracing the message of the kingdom. Everything. Everything. In fact, I picked this phrase up. I thought it was great. The father of lies will do anything to keep us from coming to the truth because it is the most valuable thing in the world and leads to the source of all truth to God alone. So the enemy is going to work very hard against those of us who might be considered indifferent, closed-minded. The enemy is going to snatch, to steal away that which has been sown. John 8, 44, keep it in mind, there is no truth in him, Jesus says, of the enemy. When he tells a lie, he shows what he is really like because he is a liar and the father of lies. And I will tell you, he will do anything to keep us from hearing the message of the kingdom. The second is the rocky ground. And this is the shallow. The shallow. These are the folks who receive the message with joy. Now think about that for a moment. They receive the message of the kingdom with joy, but there is no root. There's nothing farther that they, they pursue. There's nothing that happens from that point forward. The seed, understand this, the seed doesn't change. The seed is just as powerful in each of the four types of soil. It's the soil, the receptivity of the soil that's so very important. They're shallow, and because they've embraced this message, but because of difficulty, they lose faith. The third is the thorny ground, the distracted, the distracted. They hear the message, but the distractions, or I could say it this way, the clutter, the clutter of culture, the clutter of culture and the world just choke out the message. Everything else takes precedent over the seed that has been sown in their life, over the message. Then the fourth is the good soil. It's the responsive. The responsive. These are the folks that are responsive to the message. Not only do they respond, but their lives are fruitful. In fact, 160, 30 times what was sown. Life is filled with vibrancy. It's really fascinating to me that Jesus in this parable, four different types of soil. But if you've counted them, there's only one, there's only one type of soil where there's response. Three out of four, what happens? They're either indifferent, shallow, or distracted. They either never embrace faith, or two of the four, what do they do? Even after embracing faith with joy, embracing the message of the kingdom with joy, what do they do? They lose faith. They lose faith. So from this, two observations I want to talk about this morning about losing faith. First is this. Losing faith is not anything that surprises Jesus. Yeah, Jesus talked about it. So this is not a surprise. So the individuals that I talked about a few moments ago, this is not a surprise. Now I'm gonna, I, I'm absolutely confident that his heart is grieved when people walk away. He, his, his heart hurts. It's never his intention, but it's not a surprise to him. Losing faith is something that will happen but again, as I studied, as I prepped for today, here's what keeps coming back. Why? Why does it happen? 
you know, I, 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 read, I read this parable, I read this story, and I, I, I get it. I, I understand the deceitfulness of wealth. I understand the distractions of life. I get all of that. But still, why? I have all of those. But I've retained faith. Why? Why have people lost faith? Why is it continuing to happen? Why do prominent individuals, pastors, people of influence, why are they losing faith? And I would even say, I, I don't know. So what I did is I just began to pencil down some ideas as to why people might lose faith. Here are a few of them. The first is unmet expectations. Unmet expectations. You see, an embrace of faith When you and I embrace faith, it is not a promise or a guarantee that everything's going to be perfect. But I wonder how many people walking into faith or beginning a journey of faith have been promised something that was not actually true. And so, therefore, they were over-promised and under-delivered. And so because of this, they forget this. I thought I come to faith, man, and everything is going to be great. All of my troubles are going to walk, are all going to go away. There's nothing the Scripture promised of that. But I wonder if unmet expectations could cause people to lose faith. Another would be a, a lack of connection and being isolated. I think, well, all of these things that I'm going to list concern me. This is the one that might concern me the most, is when there's a lack of connection or isolation. I want, and I want you to hear me. I, I, I want to be. I want to be aware of everyone who calls Crossroads Church their home. I want to be involved in your life as much as I can. But the reality is, it's impossible for me to have that connection with everyone. And there are times that I will, I'll be sitting at home or in my office or driving in my car, wherever it is, and I'm thinking, oh, man, I haven't seen them in a while. And I'm thinking, I wonder how they're doing. And, you know, gratefully, many times individuals will show up. And then the other part of it that, that, that's grieving, I can't remember everybody's name. I used to be, I used to pride myself on being really good at remembering everybody's name. Now I probably should need to wear a name tag with my own name on it upside down so I know who I am. But the isolation... The lack of connection, I believe, can cause people to just walk away because nobody cares. Nobody cares. Then there's the third reason is being hurt, being hurt or victimized by the church. And I just need to stop, pause, and just say something. Um, Well, let me do this first. I had a friend I always happened to get on their Facebook page, and they had posted something along the lines of this, saying, "I over the past however many months, years, whatever, been hurt, and this has happened, and and I'm just walking away from the church. Not walking away from Christ, but I'm walking away from the church. I'm I'm just kind of done. And then the re- the request was, if you're resonating with what I'm saying. Would you give me a heart? Well, after 200 and some hearts, what it tells me, there's a lot of people who have been hurt, victimized by the church. Now, I want to just say this publicly. And to everybody that may be joining us online, I, as a pastor, I'm so sorry. That the church has hurt you. It's wrong. 
strong. I can't make up for every hurt. But I can take responsibility for any that I may have caused. And I'm sorry on behalf of the church. People walk away. They lose faith because they've been hurt. God, forgive us for communicating that which is not godly. For communicating something that's not true. For over-promising and under-delivering. For not creating the environments that will allow someone to go beyond a hardened path into a deeper life of Christ. Another reason is it's just too hard to follow Christ. The cost is just too hard and the cost is too great. To me, this is a, a challenge. The scriptures are very clear that coming to faith is... Is, a, is, the must, is the best decision you'll ever make, but it doesn't mean that the road will be even and perfect and good. In fact, Jesus would say it this way, the, the path that leads the wrong way is really big, and a lot of people find it. The path that finds life is small, it's narrow, and not a lot of people. And what that tells me, is just a little harder to go that direction. But you see, it's not a surprise to Jesus. Even during his ministry, people deserted him. In John chapter 6 and verse number 60 and verse 66, this is what we read. Many of his disciples said, this is, a very, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. In the middle of Jesus, right in front of them, they walked away from him. They lost faith. Nine disciples on the night that he was betrayed and taken into custody, they ran away. Thomas doubted. Judas betrayed him. Peter denied him. People have lost faith through the generations of time. It's nothing new. It doesn't surprise him. The last one is just unanswered questions. Unanswered questions. I wonder, I wonder, can we, and I'm saying the collective we, can we answer the questions people are asking? for the hope that you have in Christ. You say, well, I thought that's like your responsibility. It is, but it's our responsibility. Because where you walk every day is not where I walk. The interactions that you have and the influences that you have and the relationships that you have are not the same that I have. Some will cross over, yes, but we all have a responsibility to be able to give an answer for people who are asking. There was a man by the name of Brian who wrote his deconversion letter. And in his deconversion letter, this is what he wrote. He said, for centuries, thoughtful people have been asking simple, obvious, common sense questions about the claims of Christianity. But Christians have never been able to provide any answers. God forgive us for not being prepared to give an answer. So Jesus isn't surprised that people are walking away. And in many respects, we shouldn't be surprised either. Second observation from this parable is that we can lessen the possibility of losing faith. Now, I use those words very intentionally. 
Remember what we said about the parable of the sower and the seed. Three of the four. One does not embrace faith. Two embrace faith but lose faith. So, once again, it's not a matter of eliminating losing faith, but it's a matter of lessening that possibility. And I'm speaking to everyone in the room today. Parents, I'm talking to you. Grandparents, I'm talking to you. Young adults, teenagers, I'm talking to you. There are things that we can put into place to build the soil of our life so that we will not lose faith. There, is a poss- there are possibilities that we can lessen it if we put certain practices in place. And parents, it's important for you to grasp these things so that you can invest those into your children and into your grandchildren and to live it out. So in living in the Central Valley, as Marcy and I did for 13 years or so, one of the things that's very apparent, even if you just drive through it, but we live there, is is agriculture. And we lived in a little town outside of Sacramento, north of Sacramento, right on Interstate 5, Woodland. In fact, our youngest... Our, our daughter was born in Woodland, and that was kind of the, it's kind of the, the buckle, it's kind of the buckle of the tomato belt, I guess you could say. We had tomato fields everywhere. The entire city just surrounded by tomato fields. So during harvest time, what was happening is 24 hours a day, the harvesters would run. I mean, it's 20, and so we'd be laying it in bed at night, and all you could hear were the harvest, no matter where you were in town, because the entire city just surrounded by tomato fields. The harvest was just crazy. Well, then anywhere, whether it was apricots or peaches or corn or olives or grapes, harvest time is just cool. It's just exciting. It's, it's energetic. But I'm going to make a statement I believe absolutely to be true, and I'm not a farmer. I am confident that every farmer, every farmer would say, the harvest is great, but without good soil, there's not going to be a harvest. The harvest is going to be less if the soil isn't good. So that's what we're going to talk about is how we prep that soil so that we lessen the possibility of losing faith. The first thing that we're going to do is pray first. Pray first. I'm going to say it again. Pray first. I know I use that phrase a lot around here. And if you don't have your pray first wristband that you become a prayer partner with me about the vision and mission of the church, stop by the info center, pick one up, and be a prayer partner with us. Pray first. Pray first. Now, I'm going to make a simple statement, but it's true. If Marcy and I stop talking, she's my wife, 43 years, God love her. I love her too. God does. I love her too. So, so do her kids and her grandkids. But if we stop talking, something's going to happen. It ain't going to be good. Our relationship will suffer when we stop talking. Why do we believe that it would be any different when we stop communicating to our Heavenly Father? 1960s media theorist, I'm not sure what a media theorist is, but 1960s media theorist Marsha McLuhan once said that everyone he knew who lost his faith began, began by ceasing to pray. So if you begin by ceasing to pray, which is standard to reason, pray first. Understand something. All of us are going to have doubts, and we're going to have questions. Why don't we just take them to God in prayer? God, I don't get what's going on. Lord, I don't like what's happening. I'm not sure what's going on in my own life. Have a conversation with God. Pray first. Commit it to God in prayer 
prayer. Even if it's as simple as Mark 9, 24, Lord, help my unbelief. I'm struggling and I don't know what to do. God, help me. Understand, the whole series of messages have been based on James chapter 1 and verse number 5. If we lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men without finding fault. In other words, when you have a difficulty, when you have a question, when things are going on, don't get silent. Get noisy with God and say, God, I need your help. I don't know what's going on. I don't understand it, but I know you can't help me. Help my unbelief. Paul would say this, and I love the way Eugene Peterson says it in the message. He says, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Now listen to this. Let, petition, let, your, let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. In other words, I'm worried about this, God. I don't see what's going on. I don't understand what's happening in my heart. I don't like what I'm seeing. God, help my unbelief. Change this. Believe for, 1 Thessalonians 5, pray continually. Praying Praying first will lessen the possibility of losing faith. Second is get prepared. Get prepared. The quote I mentioned earlier, Christians have never been able to provide answers. That just cuts deep. That cuts deep. And while it cuts deep to me, it's a challenge to me. I'm a very competitive person by nature. That's just, that's just who I am. I can't, I can't change the, my DNA. Frankly, I don't think I'd want to, even if I could. If I'm going to play golf with you, I'm going to do everything I can. I'll have a good time. We'll have fun, but I'm going to try to beat your brains out. I'm not there just to have. I'm just not there to have just a friend. We're going. I'm going to win. Now I may not, but that's my that's my goal. If I'm playing ping pong, I'm not there to get you beat me. I'm there to beat you. Now I'm not any good at ping pong, but tennis I'll take you on. Got that going on. No, I'm just used to. Used to be, be, never mind, I'll just shut up. Point is, as I see that, I'm challenged. All right. If I can't get an answer, if I don't know an answer, then for heaven's sakes, I'm going to get prepared and I'm going to find an answer. I'm going to learn. I'm going to grow. Well, how do you do that? What, how, do you, how do you take this? But, but before I go there, listen, this is really important for us to understand. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 reads, God gave us the ability to think about his world. Now, I like that. That's great. God gave us the ability to think about his world. You ready for this? You ready for this? But we can never completely understand everything he does. You go, well, that's kind of a cop-out if I, if I tell somebody, well, God. no, it's not a cop-out. It's true, but that shouldn't be the end of the conversation. There are some things that I am never going to know. I'm going to tell you one right now, and I am fascinated about it. I am never going to know anything about the surface of Mars, other than what other people tell me. I am never going to be able to kick up the red Martian dirt, even though Marcy would probably love, get on that spaceship. Go, buddy, go. No, I'm not going to, you're probably not either, but I'm okay with that. I'm okay with it. There are some things I'm never going to fully understand. God is infinite in his understanding. We are finite. We are limited in our understanding. And I'm okay with that. But understand, a person who's asking a question, that's not enough. We've got to go deeper. We've got to go more. One more, Isaiah 40. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. In his understanding, no one can what? 
fathom. But again, because of my competitive nature, I'm not trying to understand everything about God. I am trying to provide an answer for those who are asking me. I've got to get prepared. How do I do that? 1 Peter verse three, chapter 3, verse 15, remember this. You must worship Christ as the Lord of your life, and if someone asks about the hope as a believer, Hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. I want to tell you something that is as much for you as it is for me. I need to be ready to explain it. So here's how we do it. Number one, study Scripture. Study Scripture. You and I have to be absolutely proficient. We, you say, oh, Gary, that's impossible. No, it's not. No, it's not. At the very least, be a person who takes moments in your day and reads Scripture. Get into the Word of God. I know I say it a lot, and I say about it a lot, a lot. But we've got to be people of God's Word. Study Scripture. A couple of weeks ago, I did a message about about the spiritual practices. Go back to it. Revisit how to engage with God's Word so you can grow your faith. So when somebody asks you what, and I'll give you something very simple. When somebody asks you about John 3.16, you're actually able to explain what it's about. You say, well, that's pretty simple. I know that. That's one. You've got one down. Keep studying. Get into God's Word. Let God's Word then get into you. It'll transform you. I love Acts chapter 17. Luke's talking about the Bereans. And the Bereans, here's here's what you learn about them. You ready for this? They examine the scriptures every day. That's great. But here's the best part. To see if what Paul said was true. Do not take my word for it. I'm going to do my very best to present to you the gospel of Jesus Christ with a context that's appropriate, with the history that is right, with an application that is God-honoring. But understand something. Study Scripture on your own and make sure that your pastor is teaching the uncompromised word of God. Whether you are a part of Crossroads until the day you die or you move to some other location, it is our responsibility to be people of the Word of God so we can judge according to God's Word and God's Word alone. Study Him every day. Study Scripture. Second, Google it. Come on. Google is your friend. Now, I know there's a lot of junk, but I'm not talking about that. The amount of information that is available to you and to me is staggering. In a millisecond, tens of millions of pieces of information are at your fingertips. It becomes intellectual laziness and spiritual laziness when we say, I can't learn. I don't have any place. No, we can. We can do it. Google it. Google it. Now understand something. You may find some things on here that are going to challenge you and you're going to disagree with. That's okay. God's word, God's word, God's truth can stand the test of your scrutiny and anyone else's scrutiny. Do not be intimidated when someone has a different opinion. But do your best, study, to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that did not be ashamed, but divinely, or rather correctly divides and handles the word of truth. Do that. Google it. And lastly, be honest. Now, you say, what does that mean? 
When you don't know an answer, tell them, I don't know the answer. I can't tell you, I don't know how many times I've done it. I probably did it more times than I'd like to admit. I would make something up. Now, don't confess that you've done that too. Please, I don't want to know. But that's just the reality. We say something or, or we hem and haul like we know. We don't know. Just tell them you don't know. But don't leave it there. I don't know, but I am going to find out, and let's get back together for coffee, and let's have some conversations about it, and let's keep this conversation going. And if I don't know even then, I'm going to keep digging, you keep digging, and we're going to do this together, and we're going to learn together. Why? Because we are to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. I know I'm a little passionate. And I'm going to continue to be passionate because I believe in what I'm saying. And understand, do not, do not misinterpret my passion for being judgmental because I'm not. I'm just passionate about what I believe. And I want you to be equally passionate. So be honest. And I want to give you some, I want to give you some resources. And I'm going to put them all on the screen. They're not in your notes, and I won't be able to go through them all real quick. But they're going to put them on the screen. So if you want to get a smartphone, you can take a shot at it if you want it. But I'm going to give you some individuals, give you some books, I'm going to give you some websites that you can check out that will help you in this journey. Things like rzim.org. This is Ravi Zacharias. Ravi Zacharias is one of the great Christian apologists in our world. He's an awesome. I heard him speak on numerous occasions publicly. Awesome. He's awesome. rzim.org. Uh, another one is reasonablefaith.org, crossexamine.org. Some blogs and authors and speakers like William Lane Craig, Ravi Zacharias, I've already mentioned, Frank Turek, Gary Habermas, C.S. Lewis. His books are awesome. You know, mere Christianity, uh, uh, screw tape letters, so many different things that are available to you. And then there's some other books, The Logic of God, a brand new book by Ravi. It is awesome. I've read just a portion of it. It's really good. The Case for Easter and then The Case for Faith. And so I'm, I've put this one up here for a reason. There's another book, Letters from a Skeptic. Letters from a Skeptic is an older book written in 2008. But it is an awesome book. It is a conversation between an unbelieving father and a believing son. And it is the journey of the father to faith on just asking questions. You and I can be prepared. Now this case for Easter, why do I have it here? I'll tell you that in a minute. Why not the case for faith? Well, I'm, we're going to make these available to you. The reason I'm doing this one instead of the case for faith is because we have a whole bunch of these we want to give you. I mean, it's simple. So if you don't have one of these, stop by the Info Center and pick one up. It's a 45-minute read. 45 minutes, but it is a great read about the essential, central belief of what we hold dear as Christians. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'll talk about that more in just a little bit. So these are some resources. Use them. Get prepared. The next one is remain connected. So remain connected. So we've already talked about being pray first. Get prepared and now remain connected. We need each other. We need each other. You need me. I need you. We need each other. The dynamic power of us being together is really unmatched. And we need one another. Isolation is not a good thing. When we isolate ourselves, when we absence ourselves from this environment, it's not healthy. Now remember what we talked about a moment ago. The enemy of your soul will do everything and anything to keep you from hearing the message of life. In fact, one of those will be, you don't really need to be in church. 
Now, you can do it. Now, I am absolutely respectful of everybody who's joining us online. I get that. And you know, when, I'm, when we're gone, we're online. We're watching, we're watching services. I get that. It's a great, it's a great resource. But it does not, it does not fulfill all that we need as the family of God to be together. And the enemy can use our absence to continue to snatch away the truth of the message of the kingdom. He will use that. He'll just say, I, you don't have to go today. You went last week. Now, you went three weeks ago. You're good. You're fine. It'll hang. It's all good. He will use portions of truth to accomplish his purpose. Do not, uh, rather remain connected. Hebrews chapter 10, let us think of ways. Let's think of ways to motivate one another. Let me just stop there. Motivate your family members. Motivate your friends to be in a place of worship. Whether it's, I hope it's Crossroads Church, but if it's not, motivate them to be somewhere and involve and be connected in a local family of believers. The writer of Hebrews goes on, motivate one another to acts of love and good works and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is closer. Remaining connected will lessen the possibility of losing faith. The next one is to confront doubt. Confront doubt. It's really important for all of us to, to know that we all have doubts. And I'm going to tell you, I've had my doubts. There have been many times I have been questioning certain, certain parts of faith and just having doubts. What do I do with that? First, don't be, don't be too hard on yourself. You're really in good company. They're all through Scripture, there are individuals who doubted what they believed. That's okay. Let me read you a portion from Matthew chapter... Uh, I'm going to read from Matthew 11 in just a moment. But Oswald Chambers, he made a great statement. He says, always make a practice. Now, hear this carefully. Always make a practice to stir your own mind thoroughly. Always make a practice to stir your own mind thoroughly. To think through what you've easily believed. Your position, your position (laughs) is not really yours until you make it yours through suffering and study. In other words, things to, until you engage with this, it's just not going to happen. So I would say it this way, a faith unquestioned and untested is no faith at all. We've got we've to get into this. Confront the doubts. Every one of us are going to have doubts. You've got to confront it. You've got to hit it face on. This is what's going on. All right, I'm going to go deep. I am not going to just let this doubt hang out there. I am not going to assume the doubt is absolutely true. I am not going to do it. I am going to wrestle with this faith. I'm going to let this thing stir up in me until I have an answer. Matthew 11, this is John the Baptist. Listen to what we read about John the Baptist and doubts. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you... Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there is not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. What does this have to do with doubt? A guy by the name of Alan Parr came up with four thoughts about doubt, and this is my take on what he said. The first is this. First, never base your beliefs on circumstances. John the Baptist was in jail. That is not the most, that's not the best place to make a decision about certain things going on. Things aren't going well. You know something? Circumstances in your circumstances and my circumstances will change. 
That's just reality. We don't base our doubts on just because things aren't going particularly well. We're in a difficult place. The second thing, the second thing about doubts is that turn towards God rather than away from him. What did Jesus, what did John say? Go to Jesus and find out what's going on. Don't turn away from him, but turn towards him. Third, about doubts, pay attention to the evidence. You notice what Jesus told his disciples? He said, look. Just tell him what you see. The blind see, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. Life is happening. And so for us, what does that mean? Take a look in your own life. What has God done for you? I want to tell you something. If you know Jesus Christ, if you have embraced him as Lord and Savior, he has done a miracle in you. You are a different, transformed individual. Look at the individuals we had here last week with Teen Challenge. They are transformed people because of what Jesus Christ has done done. Look at the evidence. And the fourth thing when you're dealing with doubt is don't condemn yourself for having doubts. What did Jesus say? No one. There's nobody like John the Baptist. No one born of women. And yet he had doubts. Don't condemn yourself. We all have doubts. And then the last thing is have faith. Have faith. And understand this. Genuine biblical faith is only as strong as its object. One more time, genuine biblical faith is only as strong as its object. What is the point of that? We don't have faith in faith. We have faith in Jesus. We have faith in Jesus. There is an object of our faith. Jesus would say this in Mark chapter 11, 24, have faith in God. Have faith in God. A few minutes ago, I referenced case for Easter. And once again, if you don't have a copy of this, pick one up. Grab it before you go today. But why did I use this? Because the central event in all of history that is the, is the game changer is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Have faith. The having faith has to have an object. And, the, and that which we teach is based upon something that is of earliest record. I guess you could say it this way. It's like it's the creed of the church. You've probably heard of the Apostles' Creed or a variety of other creeds. They're just these statements of faith. Well, the earliest creed that we have in Scripture is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this is what we read. 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 1. Now, this is Paul. Paul says, now, brothers and sisters, I want you to remember the good news I told you. Okay, so he's saying, this is what I taught. Remember the good news. You received that good news, and you continue to base your life on it. The good news, the message you heard from me, is God's way to save you. But you must continue believing it. If you don't, you believe for nothing. Now listen to this. This is really critical. I gave you the message that I received. What he's saying is that what I am am telling you was told to me. This was the message proclaimed to me. And that's what I'm telling you. Now, this was written, this occasion was written about 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus. This is new. Because when you read this, as well, you'll see in just a minute, there's a lot of evidences here. Let's go on. I gave you the message that I received. I told you the most important truths. That Christ died for our sins, as the scriptures say. That he was buried. That he was raised to life on the third day, as the scriptures say. And that he appeared to Peter and then to the 12 apostles. 
After that, Christ appeared to more than 500 other believers at the same time. Listen to this. Most of them who are, are still living today. In other words, he's saying, if you don't believe what I'm saying, there are still some people you can go talk to, and they will affirm it because they saw it. That's what he's saying. And he goes on. Then he appeared to James and later all the apostles. This is the essence of the gospel message. And so it's a creed, and here's how you can summarize that creed. Very simply, Christ died for our sins and was buried. He rose from the dead and was seen. That is the message of the gospel. That's what the sower sowed into the pieces of ground. That's the message of the kingdom. The question for all of us is, what kind of ground has that message, has that seed been sown upon? Indifferent? Indifferent? Distracted? Is it thorny? Is it rocky? What is it? Is it good soil? Is it responsive? I wonder. You see, for me, what I hope today is that the soil's receptive. Receptive. To receive the message of life. That's what I want for all of us today. And so I leave this verse with you in Hosea chapter 10. So for yourselves, right? So, excuse me, so righteousness for yourselves. Reap the fruit of unfailing love. Break up unplowed ground for it's time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you Jesus thank you thank you for your word this morning and I I pray that in these next few moments you'll just do something sovereign that only you can do God I cannot we leave this to you because we know that your word will not return empty, but it will accomplish the purpose for, with its, for which it is set forth. So let it be so in Jesus' name.